0: It's a privilege to me to be back with you all again. I'm thankful that you invited me back. Thank you, Connie. Um, Something I failed to mention the last time when I began, as much as I appreciated and enjoyed the interaction, especially with Maggie after we were done with the message, um, I think, if I understand correctly, a lot of your time here, your services, are more in the Bible study, question and answer, interactive format. And that's wonderful, but I... I have a burden to deliver and preach a message to you. And I welcome and encourage all feedback, questions, and interactions whenever we're finished. But I would ask that during the message that you tune in to the truth of God's Word and listen to it declared to you. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to you today. You know, I was reminded of something just sitting here and visiting, interacting with you all here before. I was thinking, my dad... He often tells me, my dad was, now y'all might laugh at this, but my dad was born in 1969. And so you probably think that he's a young whippersnapper, most of you. Um, But he tells me about how different the world is today than whenever he was born. And actually, one of the things he's told me repeatedly when visiting us here in St. Francis is, he says, it's like going back in time almost compared to, most every other place in the world. These small, community-driven, local towns, um, there's a different sense about them in a lot of ways. But even in a town like this, I can testify, my own experience and my children, how the world is different today than even when I was a young man, which has not been that long ago, believe it or not. And here's my my point in saying that. Many of you can look at the world when you were young and you think, wow. Everything's different than whenever you were a young person, I'm sure. And most of you, if you're honest, you would say it's not been for the better. It's not been primarily improvement. When you look at the state of society and government, and a small town like this one may escape much of that, but the world at large does seem to be, in recent history, within the last hundred years, to be sure, to be degrading and getting worse and worse off. And all the while, you'll see activity amongst religious groups and organizations increasing. You'll see more missionaries going out across the world, more churches springing up. You'll go into most small towns in the South, and there'll be 50 churches in a town of only 1,500 people. It's like, what if there's all this religion and all this activity unto God, why is it that we continue to see the trend downward in society? I believe part of the problem is that people treat their religious activity as just that. Interacting around ideas of God without ever coming to know God themselves. The message goes forth, believe in Jesus, and anyone who's prepared to say, I do, I do, they're received and welcomed in as though they know God. And maybe they don't. I believe one of the greatest needs of our day is that people would be born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And there are many people all over this world who are religious. Holding dogmatic religious positions is never going to save a single person. I make no apologies that my thoughts today are very much evangelistic. And I pray that any one of you here right now, that if you have not been born again, if you do not know, I don't assume any of you or all of you are Christians, even if you were to tell me that you are. Because the scripture has too much evidence of people who say one thing and yet in their souls they're never changed. You ever think about Judas Iscariot? None of the other disciples knew that he was to betray Jesus. None of the other disciples knew that he was going to do what he did and fall away. And yet he did. And so, my my point in saying these things is how much would I have to hate you if I thought there was even a chance that you might not know God? And if I didn't tell you and call your attention to examine yourself, it's possible that even people who call themselves Christians and expect to go to heaven when they die are actually going to step out into eternity and face the wrath of God in the judgment. And don't take my word for it. Just as an introduction, I'll read for you from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21-23. through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying that when he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, you realize in these old styles of writing, they didn't use the same punctuation that we use. If you wanted to emphasize something in a letter or an email, you might underline it, write it in all caps, and put a few exclamation points, right? Well, in this day, if you wanted to emphasize something, you repeated it. And so whenever Jesus says that people say, Lord, Lord, this isn't just someone who's reached the day of judgment and said, well, I better get right, Jesus, are you Lord? This is someone who emphatically declares, Jesus is my Lord. You ask him, are you a Christian? They say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. He says, there will be many who say that, who even do miracles and works, mighty works in his name. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We live in an age of relativism where everybody's ideas are supposed to be equally valid. And I'm just going to suggest to you, cannibalistic beliefs are not equal to those of another society, are they? If you believe it's okay to eat other people, that's not a good idea, right? We can say that's relativism says, well, all ideas are equally valid. No, they're not. And this message is not popular today because so many people want to tell you how it doesn't really matter what you think or believe about God as long as you kind of feel your way towards God. Jesus says it matters. Your eternal state matters. And these truths, they reek of controversy. And they're going to immediately cause people to say, You can't judge me. You're not allowed to judge me. Only God can judge me. Jesus Himself said, Judge not lest you be judged, didn't He? Well, what's interesting about that is it comes in the exact same chapter, Matthew 7. Jesus says, Judge not lest you be judged. And then He goes on to say, You're going to know them by their fruit. You're going to need to examine these false prophets to realize they're actually pretending to be sheep, but they're wolves. We're supposed to use discernment and judgment it's important that we see these things. And so the, questions we're, the question we're left asking is this. Are you going to believe what Jesus says or not? Jesus says there will be many people who profess Him to be their Lord, many who do good works and even miracles, and they're not truly saved. They're not truly Christian, though they say that they are. And if you're going to believe Jesus' words when He says that, you've also got to ask a follow-up question. If Jesus says... Those who say, Lord, Lord, not all of them are going to be saved. If he says that, then the question is, what are you going to hear on that last day? Are you going to hear the Lord say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or are you going to hear him say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. And this this has eternal consequences, your answer to this question. What is the real difference going to be between those who are received by Christ into heaven and those who are cast into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the difference? How do you know? How are you supposed to know? Because everyone here, I'm sure, you're sitting at a church service. You are people who probably say Jesus is Lord. Every one of you, I assume. How is it that you know whether your profession of Lord, Lord, is going to stand in that day? Well, look with me in the Scriptures. Let me suggest to you, you can, if you have a Bible and would like to open it, you can to Matthew chapter 9. Just two pages forward from Matthew chapter 7 in my Bible. Matthew chapter 9, I want to read the first eight verses and then consider them with you together. It says, "...and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven." When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. What do you see in this text? Jesus, it says they brought their paralyzed friend. Now you watch the guys on TV, we talked about them a little bit last week, and they'll tell you if you send them some money in the mail, that your grandmother or whoever can have their physical need restored. They won't be sick anymore, just send us some money, we'll heal you. This man comes to Jesus. His friends bring him to Jesus. Jesus doesn't immediately focus on his paralysis. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on whenever they say this. Jesus is blaspheming. God alone can forgive sins. How is it Jesus can forgive his sins? They're upset with Jesus. And Jesus says, He knows their hearts. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts... You ever think about that? The Lord Jesus Christ knows every thought you ever have. Every sinful idea that comes through between your ears, Jesus is aware of at all times. He sees into your soul. And He knew these people had evil in their hearts. And He says, to this, he says which is easier, your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Now obviously, obviously, it's more difficult. There's an endless chasm that separates us from God because of our sin. And the one who created the world, it's nothing for him to say, hey, I'm going to fix these, this broken back or broken legs or whatever has got him paralyzed. He made everything. Of course, he can remake a man's legs. But to restore a people that are separated from God, to forgive sin, he's saying that's the real miracle here. That's the real miracle. That leads us in to our next section of Scriptures. Before that, let me quote for you, what is the purpose Jesus came? Those who say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus, many of them, I'm afraid, don't realize that the Scripture says of Jesus in Matthew 1, She will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Jesus came in order to deal with sin. That's the main reason that He came, is to deal with sin. And that's what we see Him doing with this paralyzed man. And He goes on to address the issue further in the next section here of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is able to forgive sin. And on that point, the the only ones who are going to be accepted into heaven are those who've had their sins forgiven. If your sins have not been forgiven, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is saying He has the authority to forgive sins. The question is, are you one who is forgiven? Have your sins been forgiven? And you see how this is so important. Many people, they don't really think of themselves as sinners. They think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I do nice things. I hold the door for women and I'm kind to my neighbor. I do nice things. I've got a nice family. I'm a good person. And on a human level, that's probably true. Many people are very nice, very kind when you interact with them. If you get to know them a little bit, be very kind. But what is the nature of sin itself in the eyes of God? Are you more concerned about whether your neighbor thinks you're a good person or whether God says that you're a good person? The Scripture has us know there is none who do good. But look with me at Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. We read this immediately after Jesus has healed this man and He's emphasized the fact that He has authority to forgive sins, He gets to verse 9 and it says this, And Jesus passed from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And He said to him, Follow Me. And he rose and followed Him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and His disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to His disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't come after righteous persons. For one, there are none. Two, Jesus came for sinners. That's why he came. He goes to these tax collectors and calls them to Himself, because that's why He came, was to call sinful people out of their sin. One of the biggest hindrances in the entire world that keeps people from coming to Christ and knowing His salvation truly is that they don't believe they need it. They don't believe they need to be delivered from the evil that marks their every thought and attitude apart from Jesus. Jesus. We don't really use words like evil. We'll say, I made a mistake. I failed. I, I don't, everybody falls short. But we don't take the reality of our own sin. You know, Matthew, you know what a tax collector was in those days? A tax collector oftentimes would be someone who was of Jewish descent. It was a Jew living in the region that the Romans would hire to extort their own people. And so they would tax their own people. They were traitors to their own people against this Roman government that was oppressing them. Evil tax collectors. These, these Pharisees see Jesus is spending time with that kind of a person? Well, surely, Messiah, when He comes, He's going to come after us religious elites, right? He's coming for the pastors, for those who are in charge, those who know a lot of theology. Jesus comes for the sinners, those who are lowly and needy. And on this nature of what is sin, what is evil itself? Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you believe not believing God is an evil thing? We might say murder is evil. It's true. Rape is evil, yes. The Holocaust was evil. Hitler was evil. Stalin was evil. You might say some current... People in our national government are evil. You'd probably be right. But what is the nature of real evil? Hebrews says, an evil, unbelieving heart. Not believing God is a wicked thing. You know, Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? You know what He said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do not love God, don't you suppose that if the greatest commandment is to love God, the greatest evil to not love God. Not loving God. Not believing God. And all of us are guilty of not believing God. Essentially, when I don't believe God, I'm looking at God and saying, you're a liar. Now that's evil, isn't it? It's evil to treat the living God as though He were a liar. And the truth is, if you do not see yourself as a miserable and ruined sinner without the grace of God, you're not ever going to know His salvation. There's not going to be one person that gets to heaven and says, I made it because of what I did. Because I was more righteous than this person or that person. Only those who are driven to the mercy of God in Christ will know His salvation. If you don't come to realize your own sin, and if you're not willing to say, I I am a sinner. I am in need of saving because of my sin. It's not just because I'm a victim of circumstance, but I've done evil because I wanted to. If you don't come to that place... Your end will be damnation. What about the person who does see their sin as evil? I want this to be an encouraging message to you. But the the reality is, the good news isn't good without the bad news, is it? If you don't come to see this great need, so what Jesus went to a cross? What does that mean for me? If you're not told the reality of your need, you imagine this, if someone were to come to me with a a soggy piece of bread and offer it to me, I might look at them like they're crazy. But if I was stuffed in a prison cell starving to death and someone squeezed a piece of soggy bread through the door, I'd probably be inclined to rejoice and appreciate it. If you don't see your need, you're not going to see the glory of what's offered to you in Christ. So now what... What about the person who does see? You see your sin as evil. You may even be thinking that you're such a sinner that you don't deserve God's goodness. You could never find it. What about the one who thinks that they cannot be saved because of their sin? I want to read to you from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And treated others with contempt. Two men, that's the reason. Now he starts the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see what's going on here? The tax collector, the the Pharisee says, I'm righteous. I thank You, God, that I'm righteous unlike this guy over here. I don't need deliverance or salvation. I don't have a debt to pay. I thank You that You've made me upright. That man is not going home justified, but condemned. The tax collector, so aware of his own guilt and sin, he won't even look up, and he begs for mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. God is pleased to show mercy On those who know they do not deserve it. If you think you deserve God's mercy, you don't know what mercy is. You realize the definition of grace is that you've been given something you have not earned or merited. The definition of mercy is that something that you did deserve has been withheld from you. If my child sins and I spank their bottom, they have gotten the punishment. But if I withhold the spanking, that's mercy. They did wrong. They deserved the spanking, but they didn't get it. That's mercy. You see, in the same way, we all deserve one great big spanking. We all deserve the rod of God's wrath and judgment to fall on us. We need mercy. Mercy. If the truth of your own sin against God has you feeling broken and ruined at the end of yourself and ready to denounce any claim that you might have of your own righteousness, if you're ready to say, I give it up. It's not worth anything. If that is you, God is ready to show you mercy. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Isaiah that's quoted in Matthew referring to Jesus. In Matthew 12 20, it says this A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. A bruised reed, bruised, about to be broken in half, about to fall over. It's almost broken. Or this wick, this smoldering. Imagine a a fire that that just has a little tiny ember in it and there's just a little smolder. It's almost gone. It's almost completely put out. The mercy and gentleness of Jesus is that He hasn't come to break that person, the one who's already broken by their sin. They're already low and discouraged. He's come to raise them up. And is your light about to go out? Do you feel as though you're at the end of yourself and any hope that you might save yourself? Jesus has not come to break bruised reeds, but to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. And if you're not brokenhearted over your sin, then that's not the kind of healing he's primarily come to bring. If you're brokenhearted by your own sin, the message says, Look to a merciful Savior who's come for sinners and be saved. The last question is how is it that he can do this? How is it that he can save? If it's true, if it is indeed true that we are ruined sinners, that we deserve the justice of God's wrath, how can He forgive us and still be just? How can He be righteous and forgive sinners? How can we escape? I think this is one of the reasons we don't view ourselves as sinful as we ought to to view ourselves is because we don't understand the cross. We don't understand that Jesus died on that cross in the place of sinners. That there was real wrath deserved. We don't see that. And it doesn't mean, nothing, mean much to us because we don't see ourselves to be that bad. I'll close with a little story I'll share with you. My last scripture is Romans 5.8. We have an Awana club that meets on Wednesdays during the school year where we teach children, grade school kids, to memorize their Bibles. It's a good thing, something we enjoy. My youngest child, she's three years old. She just got old enough to be in the cubbies class. So she's memorizing some scripture. She's a sharp tack, too. Wild as can be, but she's sharp. <laughs> little Raylan, her, her name's Raylan. The other night, I'm sitting in my bed, and she comes into our room with this little stuffed animal bunny rabbit. And my wife gets to looking and says, Raylan, where did you get that? And her older brother comes and says, She stole it from the church. And her eyes get real big, and she looks back. You know what her memory verse was the week before that she memorized? Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I looked at my little girl and I said, Raylan, what was your memory verse last week? She said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I said, that's right. You stole. You've done something selfish and sinful, but Christ died for those who steal things, for those who sin. There's good news. And she's, I don't want to go to hell, daddy. Listen, sweetie, Jesus came for sinners. It's okay, you can trust Him. But to the one who does not see their need, there is nothing awaiting but ruin and destruction. The question is again, will you here depart from Me? I never knew you. You see, the people in that text, you recall in Matthew 7, I told you, they said, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not do many works in Your name? Are we not righteous enough ourselves, Lord, Lord? He says, no, you're not. Depart from me. The ones who do the will of my Father, he says, what is the will of the Father? That you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus alone. That you not trust anything that you're able to do. And you will know the forgiveness of God in Christ. I ask you to bow with me and we'll close in prayer.